open up our Bibles there. I can't believe we're going to break the century mark today. It's so cool, man. Psalm 99, and we might even make it all the way through Psalm 101. And, you know, it's a, a really, really awesome journey in studying the Psalms, you know. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here, and don't feel bad if you don't, you know, but how many of you here are reading through the Bible in a year? Like you're going to kind of going through the pattern. Okay, so, oh, cool, some of you are. Wow, I'm proud of you. Um, it's cool. Uh, wasn't it awesome going through the Psalms? Uh, it was a total blessing for me. I know it really was. Because usually I don't do that. Usually I'll just kind of like read through the rest of the scriptures and I'll kind of, you know, jump around in the Psalms. It's kind of like the Proverbs. You're in them a lot. But during that period of time when I was just going through it, I really was encouraged by the Lord. And I know for me it's a blessing studying it. You know, one of the things you'll see in studying the Psalms is that, man, they really want you to praise the Lord and they want you to do it loud and they want you to do it enthusiastically. And um, they want you to enter into the courts. I mean, enter through the doors. Think about it, just entering in, praising the Lord. You know, we should do that. Most of us here, we kind of enter in, hands in our pockets or whatever. We kind of sit in our seat and we're waiting for, you know, Steve or whoever to kind of, okay, start us up, bro. You know, turn the, the key. And the Lord is basically saying, you should be started up before you even enter the doors, you know. And today, Jose had the worship cranked up really loud. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not, but I was thinking, man, it's kind of loud. But, you know, for me, it was okay because then I just sang really loud and no one could hear me. It worked out really well. (laughs) But it's okay uh, to be loud. It's okay, I think, to have that heart of just absolute surrender, unreservedly not worrying about what people think. And um, and we're going to see that even as we go through the psalms tonight but first we read here in psalm 99 notice what it says in verse 1 something we covered this morning it says the lord reigns let the peoples tremble he dwells between the cherubim let the earth be moved the lord is great in zion and he is high above all the peoples let them praise your great and awesome name he is holy here we see uh, even kind of cool the way even coincided with this morning's study how the Lord reigns. Not the Lord will reign, but the Lord is on the throne. And the context here is that God, um, he's on the throne and he judges the people. Notice it says it right there again, let the peoples tremble. Why? Because he dwells between the cherubim. Now, if you remember, when we studied the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, there was the mercy seat. There were the cherubim. And right in the middle of the cherubim, there was, we, we consider it the mercy seat, but it's also considered the throne of God. And it's right there where God sits, and God will execute justice on the nations. Now, in context right here, he begins, first of all, by telling the whole world, don't mess with Israel. Don't mess with Zion. You know, and, you know, the people would, and they still do nowadays, but what we see in the Bible is God is going to execute judgment upon the nations. Now, I've shared with you guys before that God doesn't necessarily judge individuals on this side of time. Some people might go through their life. They might be rich. They might be healthy and wealthy and prosperous and wicked. They die, but then they stand before God. See, they didn't get the judgment on this side of time. But nations, every nation will be judged by God, especially those nations that come against Israel. 
And that's a promise. We see it way back in the book of Genesis chapter 12. It says, he who blesses you, God says, I'll bless. If they curse you, I'm going to curse them. The Lord says, he who touches you to Israel, he's talking about Israel, touches the apple of my eye. And so that's the context right here. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples, or if you have an NIV, it says, let the nations tremble. You better let your knees be knocking. Why? Because God sits on the throne. The earth should be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, the heavenly kingdom. He's high above all the peoples. He says, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. You know, he's just talking about how the Lord reigns. And we're going to see he reigns in justice and judgment. He will chasten even his people. We read that next. It says in verse 4, the king's strength also loves justice. I like that right there. You have established equity or, or fairness. You have executed justice and righteousness. Notice it says right here in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. I like that, how it says worship where? At his footstool. Isn't that cool? I mean, you can just picture yourself, visualize yourself just on your face. A beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, Because look what we read in verse 6. It says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. And Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. You know, you look at the world today and uh, it's just crazy, huh? It's insane the way that they are so anti-Christ, anti-God, the way that they are so atheistic and blasphemous. They've forgotten their maker, huh? And the Lord says as a result of that, you know, the nations will be judged. But it's interesting here because then he brings up Israel, And he says, you know, even Israel was dealt with in a fair way. Even Israel was chastened. Although Moses and Aaron were priests and they interceded, therefore Israel wasn't destroyed. Israel was chastened. And we're going to look at that as we go through our study today. You see, God not only executes justice for and to the nations, he does the same for his people. So maybe you were here in the beginning of the study and you're like, yeah, God, get them. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> because, you know, we, we mess up, huh? You know, and that's why it's important. We see that here in verse 5 and in verse 9. To remember, man, we serve a holy God. And we can't mess around. We can't. You know, God will execute, you know, justice. God will take, it says right there in verse 8, vengeance on our deeds even though he forgives us there's consequences even of forgiven sin and that's why i just really encourage you guys to hate sin you know when the devil comes in or the flesh comes in and just wants to go its own way and it wants to do its own thing you know what kill it don't let it take over because you know we plant those seeds of sin whenever we sin 
There's just no way around it. It's the law of the Lord. You you mess around and it goes in the dirt and it gets planted and you think you got away with it. But, you know, two, three weeks later, a year later, I mean, it's always God's timing. It rears its ugly head, see? And the Lord, that's the law of the Lord. And we see that took place with the children of Israel. And the reason was he wanted to correct them. We know in Hebrews 12, verse 6, it says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Chastening, scourging. That sounds pretty crazy, huh? But that's what happens when we sin. We see what sin did to Jesus. We should see sin for what it is, even for what it does to us. What it does to our family. You know, God would bring justice to the nations. And God would chasten even his own nation, the children of Israel. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 4.17 says, Judgment begins at the house of God. I mean, it starts here, you guys. And that's why it's important that we get our life right. You know, we know that in Israel's history that this took place time and time again, huh? When you study the Bible, or you just see it over and over again. Israel's always going like this, huh? Always they do good and then they do bad. You see it especially in the book of Judges. It's a cycle. Man, they do good and they do bad. They do good and they do bad. Does that sound familiar to you? Okay, don't let it be anymore. Just because they did it doesn't mean you should be doing it. Thank God for His grace. But God wants a consistency in our walk. And you're like, well, Manny, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can if you do it one day at a time. If one day at a time you wake up in the morning, you conduct a funeral service. You say, Manny, you're dead. And you take up your cross and you follow him. And when you do that one day at a time, again, you're probably not going to be perfect, but you're going to see a change in your life. And God right here, he's kind of, he's warning them. You know, he, he's warning them. Thank God for people like we read here in verse 6, Moses and Aaron. It says right there, were among his priests. And Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord and, and he answered them. Okay, you Bible scholars. What did Moses, Aaron, and Samuel, what did they all do? You guys remember? What did they do for the people? Well, it says right there they were among his priests. And we know a priest represents God to the people, but he also represents the people to God. And when God was going to wipe out the people, what ended up happening? These guys stepped in and they interceded for them, right? As a matter of fact, we see if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you would go back there, look what happened. Look what a difference these guys made <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 7. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, Now the Philistines, and that was just, that was like the, you know, Achilles tendon. That was like the enemy, the one that just, man, always got them. You know, the Philistines. It says they were there, and they heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. When the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And so the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. 
And then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. You see, that's what Moses and Aaron and Samuel did. They stood in the gap, and they cried out on behalf of the people. And the Lord, it says right there, answered him. Verse 10, Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Notice what it says in verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And that's what God wants to do, man. He wants to subdue the Philistines in your life. And you've got to believe that he can because we have individuals like Samuel who represents who? Jesus. And Jesus stands in the gap for us. And Jesus cries out for us. And the Father hears his prayer. And as we come under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he subdues the Philistines for us, you guys. I mean, this is not a social club. This is about God changing our character. We're going to see later, this is about the Lord changing our conduct at home. It's important for us to understand this. We read in verse 6 about Moses and Aaron. They were also among his priests. And, you know, you read about them over and over again in the Bible, how they stood in the gap. Uh, we know uh, when we read over in Numbers chapter 14, do you guys remember what happened in Numbers chapter 13 and 14? Do you guys remember? No cheating, no cheating. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the children of Israel doubted the Lord. They went into the land. They spied out the land. They said, you know what? We, that we, we're too small. We're grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants. The descendants of Anak are there. We can't do it. And so God said, you know what? Enough. I'm going to wipe you out. And what ended up happening was Moses and Aaron, it says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 5, they fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. I mean, boom, they fell on their face. And they were priests, and they were representing the people to God, and they were saying, God, have mercy on them. You know, and we read that time and time again with the children of Israel. Later in Numbers 16, verse 4, Korah's rebellion brought up the whole thing again. Moses heard it. He fell on his face. Later in chapter 16, verse 19 through 22, it says, And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourself from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Okay, God was that far away from consuming them, sending them to the center of the earth where they would wait for the lake of fire. They were that close. But what ended up happening? It says right here, Then they fell on their faces, and they said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you be angry with all the congregation. And they stood in the gap, they acted as priests, and God did a great work. God forgave them. It says right there that he spoke to them in verse 7 of Psalms 99 in the cloudy pillar, and he kept his testimonies and the ordinance he gave them. And it says right there in verse 8, You answered them, O Lord our God, 
It says, you were to them God who forgives. Okay, now this is the Old Testament. Now we've got to make sure we read the Old Testament with the New Testament understanding. And if you're a Christian, and I think some of you here are a Christian, okay, you've given your life to the Lord, then all your sins are forgiven. Okay, so that's one thing I want to make sure you understand. That God has washed away every single one of your sins. They've been nailed to the cross. He'll never bring them up again. But the thing is, even though we're perfect positionally, we are not p- perfect practically. And when we commit these sins, it, it separates us from the Lord. And that's why in John chapter 13, we see Jesus coming down and washing our feet, washing the feet of the disciples. Why? Because they get dirty walking through this world, huh? Um, but the thing that we have to come away with in the New Testament light is that even though God positionally forgives us of our sins, when we choose to sin, what it does is it hurts our relationship with Him and it can really hinder the work that God wants to do in and through our life. And that's why the lesson right here is important. He says in verse 8, You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them God who forgives, though you took vengeance on their deed. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of scary when I read that. You took vengeance on their deeds. And we see that's exactly what happened in the children of Israel. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands died. They wandered in the wilderness for 38 years, even though God forgave them of their sin. And they didn't have to wander. That was something they chose to live in. You know, I thank God that He's the God who forgives us. We read that in Exodus 34, 7. Forgiving iniquity. Read in Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is long-suffering, abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity. Therefore, the Lord commands us to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. You know, we think of the great forgiver, Jesus Christ, on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God forgives us, and he washes away our sins. But the Bible says that whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. Read that in Galatians 6, 7 and 8. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows that he shall also reap. And I think sometimes we, when we commit sin and we do whatever we want, we, we're deceived. We've, we bought some type of weird theology somewhere that said it's okay, that it's no big deal, that, you know, it ain't no thing but a chicken wing, like I tell you guys sometimes, you know? It's, it, it really is. It's huge. And we have to be so careful. Man, I'm just so grateful for the, the grace that God has shown me. And I'm not standing up here telling you guys, hey man, I got it all together, because I don't. But I am telling you and I am telling me that I think we need to grow up. And I think we need to look up, ask God to really do a great work in our life. You know, I've talked to some of you here. Some of you here are younger. Some of you here are older. It doesn't matter what age you are. I've noticed that God is doing a work in your life. And we have to have that heart. You see, God answered their prayer. He forgave them, but not without his holy chastening. And so what do we read? The end of the psalm, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. 
for the Lord our God is holy. And we know this is a song that they sang, and man, it must have been an awesome song. Um, maybe when we're in heaven one day, we're going to worship in Hebrew. I wonder about that sometimes. You know, what language will... And maybe we're going to sing some of these songs because we know they were inspired by the Lord. But it's more than a, a song. It's a life. It's a life. And we have to worship in our living. We read Psalm 100 next. It says, A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Can you guys make a joyful shout? Let me see. <laughs> You're like, no, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I know I am. That's the type of person I am. I'm like, man, I don't know if I can do that. But um, the Bible talks about that a lot. Make a joyful shout, you know, to the Lord. I remember one time Rick was teaching, man, and he shouted into the microphone. It was funny. Um, but, you know, you're just, I don't know, you go to a baseball game and they and they hit the Grand Slam. And I, I don't understand how 40,000 fans can be up on their feet just like so, you know, happy. And, and Christians can. He says right there, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you land. Serve the Lord. Notice it's with gladness. It's not like, oh, man, I got to do this again. No, he says, serve the Lord with with gladness and then come before his presence with singing. You know, and, and I want to encourage you guys, and that's one of the things we do here at Calvary Chapel. Some people think, well, the first 30 minutes is kind of like a little buffer zone, you know, and it kind of can kind of, you know, you know, grace period. But when I first got saved, I remember, man, you used to get there early, huh? Do you guys remember some of you guys way back there, man? Ray, did you go to Calvary Chapel, West Covina, right? You were there. Remember when Dave Messenger was there? I mean, it was just just a work that God was doing that he can still do. You know, but we used to get there early. Why? Because we wanted to worship. And, And that's the heart of God's people. That's the way it should be anyways. Remember, God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 22, verse 3 says that. And so when we're praising the Lord and we're singing the Lord, there's a special manifest presence that takes place in the sanctuary. The Bible says that John, in John chapter 4, that the Lord is looking for people to, who worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, it says that in John chapter 4. Now what we see, verse 23, is that a lot of times we Calvary Chapelites will worship the Lord in truth. We're like, hey, man, better make sure that's an orthodox song. And it's true. You know, Steve sometimes will ask me, hey, Manny, is this right on? I'll say, no, bro, that's way off. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, we have to check all that stuff, right? We worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And when you look at the context there, what had happened was the Jews were right on. They were orthodox. The Samaritans weren't. But they were passionate. They were enthusiastic, you know. And so the Lord says, I want both. I want truth and I want passion. I want enthusiasm. And I know it's hard to muster up, but you can muster it up when you see the reasons we have here given to us for worship. Because look what it says in verse 3. It says, Know that the Lord, He is a God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. 
You know, when you read this, verses 1 and 2, you see definitely somebody who's happy, somebody who's holy, somebody who's gloriously glad. They know something, man. They are different. They know something that makes them sing. And what is it that they know? Well, we read here in verse 3 that the Lord has made me and the Lord maintains me. He says there, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. Now, you know, not only would that be in reference to us, you know, making our own lives, believe it or not, it's also in reference to, you know, those of you who think, you know, as parents, hey, I'm the one that did this. You think as parents that you made your kids. Well, to a certain extent you didn't, but the bottom line is you didn't. God made them. God made each and every single one of us. It wasn't our parents. He knit us together in our mother's womb. And for that, you know, I know these are things we don't think about a lot, but they're things that God wants us to think about. He says, no, know this. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. You know, Psalm 95, verse 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. You know, he made us physically and he made us spiritually. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, I don't know if you guys ever, you know, stop and think about God making you and... Um, not only making you physically, but making you spiritually. And then as you become a Christian now, he continues to work on your life. You know, but you're his workmanship, you're his poem, you're custom made. And he's, he's really done a great work. You know, he's not only my creator, he's my redeemer, he's my good and great chief shepherd. Because he not only makes us, but notice it says that he maintains us. It says we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so remember, the Lord is your shepherd. You shall never, ever lack. Wow, but this is going on. Manny, you don't understand what's happening. And, and, and you know, you just have to be reminded, well, who's your shepherd? You know, the Lord is your shepherd, man. And you're, you're not lacking for anything. You know, it says right here that we are this, his people and the sheep of his pasture. And therefore, as his sheep will receive protection, otherwise we would, you know, be eaten by wolves. We will receive direction, otherwise we will be lost. We will receive provision, otherwise we would starve to death. We will receive rest. Why? Because he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He makes us to lie down. You know, when the Lord is your shepherd, and you guys know this, huh? You can't make a sheep lie down. You can't just say sit. It doesn't work that way. A sheep will not sit. A sheep will not lie down unless they feel like they are in a safe place. And when the Lord is your shepherd, he makes you to lie down. When you know that the Lord is your shepherd. You know, and that's just an awesome, awesome thought. You know, I've told you guys before many times that sheep are defenseless animals. They can't bite. They can't kick. They can't scratch. They can't run. They can't do anything. That sheep are good evidence against evolution. 
Because how would they survive without a shepherd? Think about it. And the Lord is our shepherd. He takes care of us. And I, I think that's a great reason to worship. And so what does he say? Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And unto his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Next time you come in those doors right there, I want to hear you sing. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Notice right there, it's the reason to sing. Manny, why are we going to sing? Why should I sing coming into the sanctuary? He gives three reasons right there in verse 5. Number one, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. And so all the things you're going through, they're for your good. Rest in that. We talked about that this morning, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for what? Good, good, good. <laughs> for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. Praise him. Praise him for the things that are going on in your life. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, rejoice always. There they were, Acts chapter 16. They were beaten. It was 12 midnight. I'm sure they were tired. You know, for doing what? For preaching the gospel, for doing good. And what did they do there at 12 midnight in the, the dungeon of dungeons? Paul and Silas. You guys remember what they did? They sang. They worshiped the Lord. And that's what we need to do. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't change this fact. God is good. Secondly, we see that his mercy is everlasting. And I shared with you guys before that although he does chasten us, um, you know, we know that ultimately he doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, we chasten our kids uh, to a certain extent, but, you know, we're pretty merciful with them, huh? The same is true in our life. God is good. God is merciful. The Bible says his mercy is as high as the heavens. And it says right there, his truth endures to all generations. I think those are three reasons to come to church service. You come to this place and you rediscover that God is good. You come into these doors right here and you're going to be reminded that God is a merciful God. And you come to this place right here to study his word, his truth. It endures to all generations. It wasn't just applicable then. The Bible's a pretty amazing book, huh? Wouldn't you say? It's pretty applicable now. I know I see that in my life. I'm like, Lord, how did you know? And he says, man, because I made you. And then we see Psalm 101. Notice it says the Psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but over the years and talking to different people, and over the years, in living my own life, probably the toughest place to live is at home. Uh, you know, at home, man, your, your spouse, your kids, they see the real you. 
And sometimes it ain't pretty. <laughs> it's not, huh? Now we can say, well, that's okay, you know, that's my home, and, you know, I kind of like to let it all hang out, you know, and um, <laughs> just, you know, stop it. <laughs> Stop saying that. At the same time, I think, you know, we show a lot of grace there. You know, my kids uh, show me grace. Uh, Stephen Chris Chapman has a song that says, If the walls could speak of the times that I've been weak, um, could I show my face if it weren't for the grace? The one who's known the truth all along. If the walls could speak, they'd say that my only hope is the grace. The grace of God. You see... You know, when we're at home, a lot of times, man, we find ourselves there and we're not really living the way that we should. And here, in reading this psalm right here, it's cool the way that we see the content of it, the song, the praise, the worship. And notice what he says right here, a few things. Number one, to get right. Number one, your walk. Your walk at home. Uh, verse two is kind of a tough verse. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Okay, now remember, I didn't say this. God said it, okay? Um, Jesus said, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is our goal. And the standard never gets lowered. You know, um, I think of Chuck Smith, and I think about how he said every night when he would go to sleep, every night, the last thing he would hear while he was falling asleep is his mom praying. And he said, every morning, every morning when I woke up in the morning, the first thing I heard was my mom praying. And his mom taught him to read. And she taught him to read from where? The Bible. And, and you know, when you have that testimony at your house, it, it's a cool thing. You know, that's got to be our goal. That our children would be able to say one day when we die, and they would say it, you know, in all honesty, he was a godly man. She was a godly woman. She loved. And she lived her faith. You know, my walk at home, I will behave. It's behavior. Notice it says wisely in a perfect way. You know, and that, that wisdom that we need uh, to make the decisions. Whenever we lack wisdom, we can ask God, Lord, help me. He'll always give you the wisdom. I think of wisdom and I always go over to the book of James. And whenever I think of James, you know what I think of? My tongue. Because my tongue is what jacks me up all the time, huh? Our tongue gets us in so many troubles. And I think if I could share with you at home and you married couples, if you could tame your tongue, if you could just tame that little member in your mouth, you will probably um, reduce your battles by 900%, man. It's so true. And you pray and you're slow to speak and God does a great work. See, your walk at home right there is what we see in verse 2. And we see, first of all, our, 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 our feet. Secondly, our eyes. Notice what he says there in verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. You get your feet right. You get your walk right. That's your daily moral journey. Now you get your eyes right and you start focusing on the Lord and his word and you know you're watching the secrets of Jonathan Sperry you know you're you know one of the things that I've been doing lately is when my son is what is having dinner I'll put on a uh, an apologetics DVD right now I'm going through this one it's a series on uh, on intelligent design 
And I just want him to be fed um, the, the reasons for intelligent design, how evolution is, 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 is just a crazy, crazy thought. Because most of our kids, when they go away to college, if they have not been equipped with an understanding that evolution is absolutely, you know, um, has no, no merit to it, if they don't really know about intelligent design, then they will fall away. It'll happen. And you've got to equip your kids. You've got to take advantage of those times. You know, we also watch Beaver, Leave it to Beaver. I like that show a lot. As a matter of fact, the new season came out. I'm so excited about that. But um, good stuff, you know. You don't set anything wicked before your eyes. You put that over your television set. The eyes are, are the window of the soul. Jesus said if your eyes are bad, then your whole, your whole life is bad. That's why it's not safe sometimes to go window shopping. It's just not. <laughs> you got to be careful. What, what really are you looking at? First he talks about his feet and then his eyes. And all throughout he talks about his heart. He says in verse 4, A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. And all I'm saying, and I know all the psalmist is saying, is that, man, I'm real. I'm not a pretender. I'm not going to go to church and put on some show. I'm not. This is going to permeate my life. It's going to be, you know, in my heart. And that's the way we have to live our life. He says it's a heart that will not, you know, fall away. Um, And I just want to encourage you guys to be that real. Even in verse 5, it says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. And throughout this, we see kind of woven in there a decision to separate themselves from worldly and wicked people and to be influenced by them. Because the Bible says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits, right? You run with dogs, you're going to get fleas. You try to surround yourself with people who love God and people who love the Lord couple of things right there in verse 5 that I think are huge. Things that I, I hate and I know God hates. Number one, gossip. Okay, that's something I don't know if guys struggle with it as much. I think girls struggle with it more. And I hate it. I hope you hate it. Do you hate it? Don't you hate it? When someone starts gossiping to you, man, muster up the intestinal fortitude to tell them, you know what? I don't want to talk about that encourage you guys gossip is ah whoever secretly slanders his neighbor him notice he says i will destroy and the one who has a haughty look and a proud heart you know what him i will not endure and it's kind of interesting in looking at this right here we have the psalmist it says right there it's a psalm of david and it's kind of like he's going into his day like this or he's going into his life like this. He's making his decisions not on the spot. He's making his decisions going into it. I will, I will. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And that's kind of the way it works in our life. You know, I, I was telling my son the other day, it's all about being a man of convictions. You know, either you got them or you don't. And the way that you form your convictions is you get with the Lord and the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and He tells you what's right and what's wrong. And once he tells you what's right and what's wrong, you go out and you plant it in your heart. And like David right here, here it is, Lord, I will do this. 
Now, it's kind of interesting in verse 3, it's a very practical, a very practical decision. And he goes into all this, not just in theory, but in practice. And if, Lord, if I see, come across this, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And if I come across this, God, you know what? I'm going to destroy them and I'm not going to hang out with them. And you know what? And, you know, you make those decisions really to serve the Lord. And it's kind of interesting because the psalmist says, David says, I will do this. And then it's cool because when you read the Psalms, it happens a lot. And then God begins to speak because it says right here in verse 6, notice what it says, My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land. They may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now when you're reading the Bible, you'll find that sometimes it has kind of like a double meaning. Um, It probably has application to David as the king, and this is the way that he would rule. But it also has application to God. And God says, this is kind of the way that it works for me as well. My eyes, he says, shall be on the faithful of the land. Why? That they may dwell with me. There it is. He who walks in a perfect way, it says, he's the one shall serve me. He who works deceit, it says, shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence you know and so there's these things that we read about how God is and you know right there he mentions uh, the faithful of the land Um, we talked about this I don't know if it was last Sunday Um, yeah it was remember last Sunday morning you guys remember no I'm just joking I don't expect you to remember unless you read your notes we talked about the faithful God and how we need to emulate his faithfulness. But we saw how the faithful man is hard to find. And, you know, right here, I, I, I think that the Lord is saying that when we see that faithful individual, it says that God is right there. And when he looks on him, he's pleased. You know, God wants this individual who walks with a heart that is loyal to him to serve him. And we just have to make sure that we don't continue in sin, whether it be lies or deceit, because it says right there in verse 8 that they won't continue in his presence. And of course, it's speaking of David. Those are decisions that we need to make, but also it's speaking of the Lord. And so he says in verse 8, Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, what do you think he means when he says early? Probably not necessarily early in the morning. It Usually in the Bible, when you speak of early, it speaks of eagerly. Eagerly, yeah. And basically, I think as we close today, what the Lord is saying is that we need to deal severely with wickedness. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin pluck it out think about that man and if your right hand causes you to sin we just say cut it off and we need to deal severely with wickedness because if you don't kill it 
then it, it'll kill you. And so um, it's so cool, you know, to know that we have a holy God and we have the Holy Spirit. And he said, he, he promises, he said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you, man, to strengthen you. Just don't believe the lie that says you can't because you can't. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for allowing us to sing to you, to study, to just contemplate on all these different things, Lord. I pray, Lord, that wherever we're at, no matter how long we've been a Christian, some may be fairly new, some may be for a long time, but it's exciting. It is so exciting to know that you're still working on us. You're still, Lord, purifying us, allowing that you know, fire to come. The dross rises to the surface and then there's that opportunity to skim it off. Lord, I pray um, that your people here would be encouraged in their personal relationship with you, Lord. And I just ask that you would do a new work in our life. I pray, Father, tonight for a fresh filling and a fresh power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Do a great work. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.